I'm standing in front of Sydney Smith Hall, where in October 2016, a professor of psychology named Jordan Peterson gave an impassioned speech to student protesters. We didn't know it then, but the events surrounding Peterson at the time would spark a larger discussion about free speech on university campuses across Canada that continues to this day. It is now a wildly held belief that campus free speech is under threat from student protesters, campus organizations, and... One of the biggest issues at colleges and universities in recent years has been whether students have the right to free speech. Whether it's how groups can conduct themselves on campus or which speakers can be brought in, the issue pushed its way all the way up to the Ontario legislature where Premier Doug Ford vowed to take action. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. We talked to Josephine Mathias who's produced a documentary on the issue for the National Post about why people are fighting for free speech on campus and why government policy may do more harm than good. Good morning, boys, girls, and interested others. So the calls for my discipline and silencing have begun in earnest. I encourage you to come join the discourse. I hope you do it respectfully. I hope you do it civilly, but perhaps you will not do it civilly. Peterson, do you have any comments on the Nazi presence at your protest? I am not an advocate of violence. I'm speaking out the way I'm speaking out because I think this is a route to no violence. And violence is lurking. Look, it's important that people are able to use their own words. As a matter of respect, in fact, would you refer to a trans person who asked you to use a they-them pronoun, a pronoun which has a several hundred year historical... That's not what we're talking about. Yes, it is, because it's legislation. So there's a reason I'm defending freedom of speech. And the reason for that is quite straightforward. The reason I'm defending freedom of speech... So, Josephine, this documentary that you produced, Beyond Jordan Peterson, Free Speech on Campus, looks at that very issue, whether there is an issue around free speech on campus, and if there is, what can be done about it? I'm first curious, what sparked the interest in producing a longer form piece about the issue of free speech on campus? Well, the Ontario government just recently created some policies for free speech on campus and the same in the United States, there are policies coming out for free speech. And um, it's a time where a lot of students are really questioning essentially what is going on in university campuses. They're questioning the culture in university campuses. There are students that are afraid that they're being censored. They're not allowed to invite speakers to campus. And it's like the, the culture around university campuses is what motivated me to want to do a longer video on the topic of free speech. Um, and this is something that's very important to students and students really care about that. So I thought it was time for someone, I guess, to do an investigative speech into why people believe free speech is under threat and how we can work towards fixing that. So when you say that, you know, there are groups of students or individual students who, who feel that their right to free speech isn't being fully recognized on university and college campuses, what exactly are they talking about? Peterson, I think, is where this all started. In 2016, Jordan Peterson put out a series of videos on the Bill 6 C-16. It's a policy on transgender rights. And after Peterson put out those series of videos, it created controversy. Students were outraged about his videos. They believed that it was homophobic. They believed that he shouldn't be, you know, as a professor, he shouldn't be discussing these issues. And that's really where it started. And um, after that, some students tried to invite Peterson to Queen's University. That was canceled. Um, and, you know, as that continued to happen, it became obvious that there is an issue with censorship on campuses. And people like Ben Shapiro also uh, tried to speak out of campus that was not allowed. So 
students want to hear these speakers. They want to hear their ideas. But if the university or activist groups or the student unions are blocking them, then, you know, they will get upset with that. They will get angry and they would want the government or want someone to do something about it. Now, when it comes to these groups that want to shut down guest speakers or lecturers who don't want to have views heard, why is it that they feel the best way to deal with these speakers is to take away the platform that another group is giving them? Deplatforming in general is not necessarily new. I mean, this is something that if you if you disagree with someone, it's easy for you to just, you know, pull a fire alarm or stand in front of them, take their microphone and, you know, stop them from doing it. And a lot of the students argue that these speakers are coming in to discuss not necessarily ideas, but discuss people's identities. So Megan Murphy, I think, is a really good example of this. A lot of people have an issue with the topics that she discusses, which is whether or not we should have trans right and comparing it to um, women's right, whether or not trans rights are infringing on women's rights. So it's those types of discussions where um, minority students feel threatened. They feel that these speakers are coming onto the campus to talk about things that make them feel unsafe. And they expect the university to protect them and to keep them safe. And um, when the university doesn't do that, they go out and do it themselves by force, by, by through violence. So I think there's just this culture of activism, essentially, on campuses today where both there's just this polarization. Both sides are trying really hard to <laughs> invite speakers or censor a speaker. Um, so I think that's generally where it's at. Now, in your in your documentary, you you point to a, kind of a spike in uh, disinvitations of speakers. When did that take place? Was this kind of after the Jordan Peterson thing blew up in in 2016? Yeah, it started in 2016. Um, 2016 was labeled as the largest year, the record year for um, disinvitations and censorship events. And 2016 is around the time when Peterson uh, put out his videos. 2016 is around the time when Trump was elected president. So there's a series of things that happened during 2016 that created that culture of um, polarization on campuses. So this is when you you started to see people raising concern about the idea that uh, free speech on campus wasn't something that was protected. Where does Doug Ford come into this conversation? During 2016, that's when the um, the record for censorship, record for disinvitations happened. And then um, students started to form groups. You have students in support of free speech. You see them across all campuses um, in Canada. They started to create groups to defend freedom of speech and their rights on campus. And they met with the Ford government and spoke to him about the different issues that they're facing on campus. They spoke to him about, you know, the several conservative speakers that they've tried to invite on campus that eventually got censored or deplatformed. The Ford government felt an obligation essentially to come in and step in and impose free speech mandates on universities to, I guess, force the universities to allow these speakers to come on. So I really do think that a big part of it was these groups like Student Support of Free Speech. Um, A similar one in the U.S. is uh, Turning Point USA. So there are a lot of groups that are involved um, speaking with the government and speaking with the universities to try to create policies. So they grew frustrated and felt like they, they needed something to come in and help them. And, you know, as part of the documentary, you spoke to some of these groups who feel that their rights have been infringed upon. You also spoke with a, a number of academics about the idea itself. And what are the what are the researchers saying about whether there's an issue around free speech on campus? What was really interesting about the documentary was I... I went into it um, with sort of a different idea on free speech on campus. I actually attended the Jordan Peterson event in 2016, the protest. I was around there. I I witnessed it. I saw how outraged students were. Um, And I I really did believe or buy into the idea that, you know, there's free speech is really under threat. And I, I could see it myself. I mean, these are students that I go to school with. 
And after 2016, it, it seemed to have died down a little. And what the the experts and the professors essentially um, their points in the documentary was that if there was a crisis, then it ended in 2016. And 2016 is really interesting because that's when the um, Trump presidency was. So uh, during that time, the climate was a lot different than today. So one thing that uh, was really, really interesting for me was that um, 2016, there were about 46 disinvitation attempts. Of that 46, about 14 were Milo Yiannopoulos. That's about 30%, hmm. just one person. And then um, another, you have Ben Shapiro, you have Richard Spencer. There was um, an event that happened in Ava Maria College, I believe. 30 alumni wrote letters to the university to cancel the event. And all 30 of those alumni all counted towards the disinvitations for that year. So when you look at the numbers, I mean, on face value, you could argue that there is in fact a crisis. But, you know, when you look at it individually and you see that it's just individuals that made up this whole idea of a crisis, then maybe policies may not necessarily be needed. And as you can see with the documentary, the policies actually do more to harm students than it does to provide them more free speech on campus. So it's really I guess, interesting to see how the events that occurred in 2016 is essentially affecting how people view free speech on campus today. Now, when you, you say that policies potentially harm free speech, what policy did the Ford government implement and how are people suggesting it may harm free speech on campus? The first policy is a free speech mandate. So part of the policy is uh, you cannot obstruct other speakers and you can't essentially stop speakers from speaking. The problem with that, though, is the act of protesting itself is, in fact, obstructive. So there is no clear line as to what should be what is defined as obstructive. Do you have a right to protest? And when does it become an issue? So it's issues like that that students were worried about. And the second policy is called the Student Choice Initiative. There has been a big issue with student unions on campuses. If I can point to one group that is involved in a lot of the censorship, it would be the student unions. And, mm -hmm. you know, the student unions claim to represent the entire student body and they speak on behalf of students. So when an event is shut down, if Jordan Peterson, for example, if his event at a university is shut down, it's the unions that are usually involved. But because no one really knows that, it makes it look like the university is the one that is involved in the actual censorship itself. So what the Ford government did was he essentially targeted the student unions. With the Student Choice Initiative, students now have the options to opt out of um, non uh, sorry, ancillary fees. These are fees that go to student clubs. These are fees that go to the student unions, and they're not necessarily important fees. By doing this, you, the Ford government um, defunded the student unions, and who are their biggest critics are the ones that are doing the censorship around uh, campuses on Ontario, which makes sense. However, the student unions also fund a ton of student groups. I mean, we have like the Family Care Center, we have the Legal Aid Center, we have all these different centers that are going to be affected because the student unions have now lost their funding. And I, I mean, I understand that, you know, because they were responsible for a lot of the censorship and because only about 5% of students actually vote during student union elections. And it's unfair for these groups of people, the minority groups of people, to come out and speak on behalf of students. And I understand why the government would want to target them, but it's just a minority of students. And if students are just more involved in politics and school and actually vote in representatives, then that issue wouldn't really you know, come up. That's where it hurts students. It hurts the student clubs. It essentially stops them. I think that stifles their free speech. If, if you're not able to go to, you know, these student clubs where you can express yourself, then you're not allowing, you're not being able to express yourself the right way. One of the things you mentioned earlier was like some of the speakers who had been disinvited 
You had in that list Jordan Peterson, who many Canadians now know after, again, some of his lectures on the bill around transgender rights, as well as his uh, book, 12 Steps to Life. But some of those other speakers are quite controversial. Uh, Milo Yiannopoulos was able to be so extreme that he got himself banned from major social media platforms. And then Richard Spencer himself is known as a as a white supremacist in the United States. Did any free speech advocates even suggest like maybe there need to be policies in place to deal with some of these more controversial figures coming and speaking on university campuses that not everybody deserves the same platform as others? Yeah, I mean, I do. There are a lot of students that do believe the likes of Richard Spencer and even Ben Shapiro do not, um, Milenopolis as well, do not deserve to speak on campuses because their ideas, they would argue, are essentially harmful and dangerous to students. However, I mean, there's Suzanne Nossel. Uh, I interviewed her in the documentary. She is the CEO of PEN America, and they create original research on the campus free speech crisis. Her whole advice for this was to was to the universities to allow these speakers to speak because not many people actually agree with the ideas of Richard Spencer and Milo Yiannopoulos. And a lot of their campus tours are just repetitive. They're just repeating the same right-wing talking points where, you know, you get a reaction essentially. And stopping them from coming on campus just turns them into a martyr. It turns them into what they want to be, which is the, the you know, the universities are stopping us. There's no free speech. I'm being censored. I'm being this. And although those ideas may be hurtful or harmful to certain people, I, I understand that part. But just simply allowing them to come in and, and listen to them, mm-hmm. I, I feel like that does less harm than blocking them because it allows them to go out and say, look, I've been blocked. And this is something Suzanne Nossel really emphasized. And we've seen it happening with Milo Yiannopoulos where he came back and um, no one really showed up to his event. Uh, no protesters showed, showed up. They were essentially over him. It was a blimp in 2016 that we're now uh, um, creating policies for, which shouldn't really be done. That is an interesting point. You, you talk about how this disinvitation peak happened a couple of years ago and the number of disinvitations has fallen off. Is it a case of universities kind of just saying to people who are against these groups, just let them go ahead with their talk. You can have a protest outside if you want, but you know, not make a huge deal of it and it'll go away. Or is it a case that people who want to bring in controversial speakers are less likely to try and invite somebody now because they're concerned about how that talk may be perceived. And so there is kind of a chilling effect on the idea of having speak controversial speakers come in. Or is it a combination of things where you have the universities dealing with it in a more appropriate fashion and maybe some groups second guess who they may bring in as speakers? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, what's difficult with self-censorship. So the idea that, um, you know, people are censoring themselves because they're afraid of uh, getting shut down. They're they're, uh, not inviting speakers on. And some people argue that that's the reasoning for the low number. I mean, we went from 46 in 2016 and now the disinvitations in uh, 2018 went down to just nine total. So there, there could be some aspects of self-censorship where people are feeling like they, they are, they are too scared to come out and invite these controversial speakers. But that's something that's extremely difficult to calculate. And, and I feel like in the general society, we do have to have a little element of self-censorship and civility. We don't really know where the line is there. But in terms of how universities are responding, they are responding way better than they were in 2016. I mean, they certainly learned their lesson and, you know, they, they, a lot of the funding for universities comes from tuition. So they need students to come in and if they keep censoring uh, speakers, students would get upset and students wouldn't go to the, that university or college. 
I believe that's even happened already in um, University of Minnesota, I believe, where uh, a ton of students are not going in anymore due to the censorship events that happened. So universities have certainly learned their lesson and they're allowing these speakers or at least not allowing uh, student unions and activist groups, uh, special interest groups to come in and di dictate what students can and can listen to or can and can have on campus. So I, I do think it's a little bit of both, but with the self-censorship one, it's a little difficult to calculate that. Now, one last question for you, Josephine. How does this apply to student life in general? I mean, we talked a lot about speakers and bringing in controversial figures to campus, but how does the issue of free speech apply to kind of a student's day-to-day -day life as they go through post-secondary? There are a lot of events in, on university campuses and college campuses that go through with absolutely no issue. Students are able to you know, speak their mind freely. Students are able to engage with each other and nothing, hardly anything really happens. And um, when something small happens, it becomes big news. And then everyone starts talking about it and then creates the perception of there being censorship on campus. But that's generally not how students are feeling. The majority of students actually feel that they can express themselves. And the majority of students also feel that they will allow offensive speech on campus. So the climate on campus itself, I think students are just trying to do their thing. They're trying to graduate in four years. The majority of students don't really care, you know, about Ben Shapiro coming in or any of those people coming in. And, you know, the, the media, I guess, blowing up individual stories is what really got students all excited and, and motivated to talk about these free speech issues. Now, I think we've gone back to just focusing on graduating in four years and, you know, getting out of there. Well, it is a great documentary, uh, Josephine. Uh, Beyond Jordan Peterson, Free Speech on Campus. You can view it at nationalpost.com. Josephine, thanks for your time. Thank you. Don't forget, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your audio. Please leave us a rating and a review, and don't forget to tell your friends about us. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Additional production from Chris Gallipo. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to Josephine Mathias. More from her at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.